As we turn to God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. The summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. I will never forget your commands. They make me wiser than my enemies. Your word is a lamp for my feet. It is a light to my path. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 879. Again, the text is Luke 1, verses 57 through 80. Hear now the word of the Lord. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and all throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel. Because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his, uh, through his holy prophets long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hates us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Great, thank you, Dakota. Let's, uh, let's bow our heads in prayer as we turn to consider God's word. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Father, give us the eyes of faith to discern your word, to discern your will, to give us, uh, the, to show us the, the beauty, just to behold the glory, the wonder, the mystery of our Lord Jesus Christ, a Lord uh, from birth, one who changes everything. Father, conform us to his likeness, change us from the inside out, Father, we long to be your servants. Humble us. Uh, Father, enable us to, to love and to sacrifice and to give, uh, even to our enemies. Father, we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, but uh, there are four words that I love to say. I told you so. Right? Anyone else like to say that? You know, you're in a situation, you're in an argument, you know, and, you, and 
vindication happens and you're proven to be right and you say what? I told you so, right? A while back, Sarah and I were watching a movie uh, starring Steve Carell. It was called Get Smart. It's based on the 1960s uh, TV series, uh, you know, called by the same name. And Carell plays Maxwell Smart, Agent 86, if I remember right. And he works for the American intelligence agency, Control. That's what it's called, Control. And of course, Control is battling the terrorist organization called, did you know? Chaos. That's right. There you go, Ron. All right. So we got control versus chaos. And during the movie, I can remember Sarah and I looked at each other and we joked and said that Sarah is control and I am chaos. All right. This is how it works, you know. And I can't tell you how many times in our marriage, Sarah has left instructions for me. She's texted me something. She's emailed something. She, in this beautiful way, brings control into my chaotic world. And guess what I do? Forget to read it, read over it, skim it, and then do what? Yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. All right? And it goes in one ear, and it goes out the other, right? I later call her frantically in the heat of the moment, what do I do, what do I do? I sent you a text, I told you what to do. Or after it's too late, I say something about, yeah, it was such a terrible situation, I don't know what happened there. And she's like, I told you what to do. I said, I gave you instructions. Didn't you read it? Right? Or we talked about this. Or worst of all, I told you so. And what do I do? I sit there in regret. Now, the, uh, if you were here for the, um, the prelude this morning, it was so beautiful. Sarah, Sarah and, and Gary and Dawn played uh, the instrumental version of probably my favorite Christmas carol, um, which is... Um, what child is this? Sorry, my brain. But what child is this? And the second verse, why lies he in such mean estate? Listen to this, kids. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? I love this line. Good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. So interesting. The silent word. What does that mean, the silent word? Something's been written and someone has shown up. And there's, there's silence. But a word has been spoken. An email has been sent. A text has been sent. Instructions have been given. A sense of this is what will happen. This is what you need to do. It's all there in the text. Not just a text from my wife, but in the text of Scripture. This is beautiful. This morning's text provides just some wonderful opportunity both to revel in the reality of God's word when God can say from heaven, I told you so. Right? It was all there from the, actually from the very beginning. Look back real quick at, at your, uh, look at your bulletin real quick. At the, uh, I'm going to steal that from you, Julia. Thank you. Look at the, um, at our beautiful um, Advent prayer of supplication. Merciful God, who sent your messengers, the prophets, to proclaim repentance and to prepare the way for our salvation. Give us grace to heed their warnings and to forsake our sins, that we may greet with great joy the coming of Jesus Christ. As the prophets have come, they've spoken, and we're going to see today that there's this wonderful, and in this story of, is, is this beautiful sense of fulfillment, of, of Zechariah himself who gives this song, 
just exulting in the reality of God's word being fulfilled. That God's purposes from of old, from long ago, from the patriarchs, from the prophets forward, that they are all in, in the person of John the Baptist and the person of Jesus Christ. They are being fulfilled in this beautiful way. And this morning, again, if you have the text in front of you, um, you can see there, there are sort of two transitions or two movements in this text. Let me turn there myself. Again, this is Luke chapter 1. So we, the first movement that we see is what was promised is now being, is now being performed. So look back, look back in verse 13 of chapter 1. In chapter 1, verse 13, we read this. But the angel said to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you will call him John. That verse is important for our text. Okay? And then in chapter, look, move ahead to verse 57. That's the very, the very first verse of our text this morning. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. So we go from a time of promise to a time of what has been performed. From what was promised to, to has now been performed. That's the first thing, from promise to performance. The second thing is that what was private has now become public. Look, look in verse 24 and 25. I just love these verses right here. It's so beautiful. After this, it says, His wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Isn't that fascinating? There's a sense of privacy, a sense of she's all alone. Now, why would she do that? Why would she be alone? The text doesn't really tell us. And it's just, I think it's so interesting how Luke, I think great storytellers and great directors in movies, they often leave things in the shadows. What's, what's going on? What, what quite's happening? And it causes the reader to wonder and to consider those of you who are in the men's discipleship group, which we're seeing how Mark does that. He provokes, he tells the stories in a way that leaves us kind of wondering for more. And we're going to see that here in the story itself, that in the story, people are wondering, where is this all going? What's happening? So what's going on there? Ladies, what do you think? What is going on? This woman, this elderly woman, right? Suddenly she gets this news and she realized that she is expecting in her old age and she remains secluded. Why would she do that? How many of you, you know, this is, I mean, let me just, so get ready, ladies, just kind of brace yourself for a second, okay? It is one of the very difficult things that I have learned from pastoral ministry is how many women experience miscarriages with no one knowing, right? You, be, you become pregnant, you learn that you're pregnant, and there's a sense of thrill of, 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 wow, this is amazing, or maybe it's unexpected, wherever it may be, but the sense of, wow, this is incredible. And then you wonder, when do I tell anyone, right? Because you don't know if it's, if it's is, it, is it really gonna, I mean, how long do I wait? And so you kind of wait a while, and, and then you, know, you don't know what to do. Of course, if you, if you tell someone, what's the risk? That you might have a miscarriage. And then you have to tell them that you had a miscarriage, right? But the other the reverse side of that is what? If you don't tell anyone, and there's a miscarriage, then what? You're grieving all alone. There's a sense of, of, yes, I'm expecting, but will it actually happen? And will, even, will anyone even believe me? Yeah, an angel appeared to your husband. <laughs> right? Right? And so she's alone. And she, there's a sense of, I mean, she has to, every moment of every day, she is relying on 
the word of the angel Gabriel. Do you see that? I mean, there are no doctors to go to and get, you know, to get a, uh, an ultrasound, right? There's, there's no one to like, sorry, is the, is the baby still, is, it still, is the heartbeat still there? Right, you know how it is, moms, right? You're expecting, and you, you, there's maybe, you're at some number of months, I think it's about uh, 12, 15 uh, uh, weeks that you can begin to feel, the baby's already moving before, you just can't feel, but it's around that time the baby's, you can feel the baby moving. And a day or two, or maybe a week will go by, and you don't feel the baby. And you're like, the sense of just this wonder, is everything okay? And so this woman, she's all alone by herself. And here in this passage, you go from what is private, what is hidden, this, this secret struggle, to now what, what becomes public. Again, look in verse 58. Her neighbors and her relatives heard the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Do you see that? There's a sense in which finally the day comes and, and their neighbors and they, they, and they sell, they come around her and what was private is now public. Can you believe it? Elizabeth has had a baby. This is unbelievable. And they're so excited for her. It's so beautiful when that happens, right? When, there are, when something amazing happens in your life and there's actually people there to not be envious of you, not to be jealous of you, but what? To actually be happy for you to revel in that, and she's, and she's surrounded by that. It's just so beautiful. Again, so in, this, in today's text, we see this transition from what was promised to what now becomes performed, the promise of a child to the birth of that child. What was private has now become public. People are hearing. We're going to see that not only in these opening verses in 58, but we see it later in verse 65. Do you see it there? 65 and 66. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were all talking about all, all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it. Okay, we'll come back to that. But the, again, the, the whole point here is that, 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 that this news, what was private, is now becoming public, and God is on the move. He's afoot. And what's so amazing about a birth, and I know this is, maybe speaks to you men, or maybe this reveals just me, but you know, when your wife is expecting, I mean, you know the baby's there. But it's just a bump, right? It's just, yeah, there's a bump in there. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just, you know, and it's like graduation. You're in high school, you're never really going to graduate. You're just going to be a kid forever. You're going to be a student. Never, the day of graduation is never actually come. But when that baby comes out and you're holding it for the first time, you're like, it's a baby. <laughs> right? It's this moment of, I can't believe it. It's really here. That God's word has actually come true. I just never thought the day would come. And understand, for us, I mean, as, even in our own day, as marvelous and as, as wonderful as the news of a birth is, in the ancient world, it was even more. It was cause for even greater celebration. And why is that? Because, again, there were no hospitals. There were no doctors the danger of something tragic happening at any point along the way, right? Even if you make it the entire nine months and there's no miscarriage, you still, what's still facing you, right? This hor horrific experience of delivery, the travail, the pain, wondering, will the child be delivered safely? Will, will the mother survive? In fact, not even, even beyond the delivery, those first year or two in the ancient world, the child may not make it for whatever reason, sickness or, or whatever it may be, something could come and just swipe and just, just take the baby away. 
And so there's the, there's the miracle, the sense of wonder of, of a child being born. And of course, as a person, as a woman gets older, the likelihood of a, of a healthy, successful delivery becomes less and less and less. And here's Elizabeth in her old age, and she, she gives this, she's birth to a healthy baby boy. And so the entire text is bookended, and the entire text this morning is bookended, on the one hand, by the news of her giving birth to a son, verse 57, and then at the very end of it, verse 80, and it's in the next page, and the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So you have this sense of that God's fulfillment, God's, God's promise is being fulfilled. Okay, so let's walk through this passage together. And we're going to see there's some, some really beautiful, relatable moments in this passage. First, it starts with celebration. We've seen that already. Verses 57, 58, uh, Elizabeth gives birth. Her neighbors gather around her, relatives, they all come by, whether she wants them to or not, right? And they, they come and they, they, they celebrate with her, they share in her joy. So it begins with celebration. But of course, as with any sort of family event, any sort of large extended family event, those of you who have family, you go to, you, you see, visit with family for Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know that celebration soon gives way to what? Some sort of argument, right? Celebrating suddenly turns into squabbling. I love this. Look at verse 29, or verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. I just love this. So the family comes in, and they sort of take over. This is what we're naming the kid. All right, any questions? Right? This is what we're doing. This is how family works, right? You sort of take over whether you like it or not, right? This is how it happens. And, and of course, what, verse 60. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. And I love this. <laughs> I love how Luke gives attention to this because it's, it's just so relatable. It's so beautiful. This moment, verse 62. Uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse 61. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Like, what are you talking about, mom? What do you know? It's not like you're the mother, right? It's not like you just gave birth to this child. It's this beautiful moment. In fact, I just want to, just real quick, uh, uh, my daughter Rosemary was watching a, a, this really funny, uh, wonderful romantic comedy recently. And, and there's, this, there's this scene, uh, and it's, it's, it's called While You Were Sleeping. And there's a scene where, um, where they're having a family dinner together. And this family dinner sort of captures the squabbling and just the complete chaos of what often happens in our, in our, you know, around Thanksgiving or Christmas, these moments of just everyone talking past each other, a, a, a huge amount of under the, under the table sort of interactions, does that make sense? Like what's being said, there's all these indirect statements, there's a lot more going on underneath the surface. So in the movie, the, just to briefly sort of describe the movie, basically uh, Sandra Bullock plays a single woman uh, who lives a very lonely life, longing for the man of her dreams. And, uh, and there's this, this guy that she sees every day at work who passes through, never even notices her at all, but she's sort of in love with him. And one day, uh, she's able to save his life, but he's in a, he falls into a coma. And it just so happens through a series of hilarious events that she pretends to be engaged to him. So she gets to know the family. During, during the time he's in a coma, the entire movie pretty much, uh, she pretends to be engaged to this guy. And she falls in love with her family. And here's this scene where she is visiting with the family and the brother there, Bill Pullman, uh, the two of the, who's a, a, obviously the love interest in the story. But just, but just check this out to see the dynamics of what's going on. Ron, can you hit, hit play for us? That'd be great. Lucy, have you and Peter decided where you're going to go on your honeymoon? Hmm? I went to Cuba. 
Ricky Ricardo was Cuban. Didn't Peter look great today? Oh, that kid. You know, he should have been an actor. He's tall. All the great ones were tall. Pussy, you think you can find me a nice girl for Jack? Oh, Mom. Well, I, I, I really don't know Jack's type, so I'm not one to... Um... I like blondes. Chubby ones. <laughs> Alan Ladd wasn't tall. Marshall Dillon was six foot five. Mm. Well, we all know who Lucy's type is. <laughs> These mashed potatoes are so creamy. You like brunettes. I could never make a good pot roast. You need good beef. Argentina has great beef. Beef and Nazis. <laughs> John Wayne was tall. Dustin Hoffman was 5'6". Would you want to see Dustin Hoffman save the Alamo? His mashed potatoes are so creamy. Spain has good beef. Mary mashed them. Um... Cesar Romero was tall. Cesar Romero was not Spanish. I didn't say Cesar Romero was Spanish. Well, what did you say? I said Cesar Romero was tall. We all know he's tall. Well, that's what I said. Cesar Romero is tall. That's all I said. Mm. So if you need yeah. help with history... All right. So I guess you sort of just picture it. It's a beautiful picture of, of the way that family dynamics work. And that's what's going on here. There's this sense of squabbling. But what's beneath it? This is important. What's beneath it? There's a sense, well, name him Zachariah versus name him John. And of course, why does she want to name him John? Because of the word of the Lord to the angel Gabriel. And so we continue to read verse 62. Then they made signs to his father. And this is very interesting. You, often when a person is, is a mute, they're also deaf. And so here, it, apparently it seems that when the angels of Gabriel struck down Zechariah with that, with that, that affliction of, of being mute, he was also apparently deaf as well. Verse 62. Then they made signs to the father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Give me, give me my iPad. Right? And, and, he, and to everyone's astonishment, he, write, he wrote, his name is John. And then right then and there, according to the word of the, uh, of the Lord through the, through the angel Gabriel, his tongue is loosed. Verse 64, immediately his mouth was open, his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Isn't that beautiful? All his neighbors were filled with awe. So we see, again, we see the sense of celebration that turns into squabbling and then becomes surprise. I love this. It's so beautiful. And the neighbors were filled with awe. I'm, I'm sorry. And they were filled with awe. And throughout all the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. So we go from celebration to squabbling to surprise. What is going on here? And suddenly a gravity. There's a weight. It's not just a fun celebration. It's not just a child being born. It's not just a new Thanksgiving, a new Christmas. Something is happening here now that we didn't realize that has a significance and import. And we go from celebrating to squabbling to surprise. And now finally, look at verses 65 and 66. Speculation. People are wondering. Verse 66. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. I love this. I just love this idea of God doing something and everyone's wondering. Everyone's scratching their head. What, where is this all going? There's this sense that God is here, that he's present, that he's on the move. But what is actually going to take place? And with that, we have Zechariah's song. 
which is just so beautiful. We have, as Zechariah's tongue is loose, you know what's so beautiful here, as we're going to see in the song, that Zechariah exults in God's reliability, in God's faithfulness, in his, uh, his ability to speak, to promise, and to follow through. And isn't that ironic, right? Because Zechariah, what do we know Zechariah famously for? When Gabriel says, this is what's going to happen. Your prayers are, you've been praying for a son, you're going to have a son. And what does Gabriel say? I doubt it. How can you be so sure? How do I know this? He doubts the credibility of God's word. And now what does he do in this, in this psalm, in this, in this song? He's like, oh, God's word will always come true, just like he said, just like he said. So let's, let's, let's walk, walk through this song together. It's, so, it's such a beautiful, uh, a, a, beautiful uh, um, a beautiful presentation, a beautiful celebration, if you will, of God's salvation. Um, first, David's, uh, first um, Zechariah says, celebrate the one who brings salvation. Look at verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. Now, just really briefly, I want to talk about this idea of salvation. To save someone or to redeem someone, listen to this, kids, is to get someone unstuck from a scary situation. Let me say it again. To save someone is to get someone unstuck from a scary or unsafe situation. That's, that's, that's basically the idea. In other words, there are, there are certain, certain elements of the idea of salvation. The idea is that a person is in a situation that is scary, that is unsafe in some way, and they are stuck. Now that may sound very elementary, very simple, maybe even kind of silly. But listen to this, guys. There's one way you hear this morning. Forget everything else. Listen to this. Realizing that we're stuck is a major point, a turning point in someone's life. When we realize that sin has gotten us into situations where we are stuck, when we realize that we have enemies who are bigger than we are and we are stuck, that we are at their mercy, when we realize that we are in situations, when we are in over our head, it's in those moments that we realize that we need a savior. It's just so key. When we look at sin, we begin to, and there was, a, um, there was an interview uh, that came out about a number of years ago, actually. Um, the interview of uh, a vocalist, a, a musician by the name of Lana Del Rey, and she was talking about her teenage years and how uh, when she first started you know, partying with friends, she said, I would drink alcohol. And we had just the greatest time. And it was so neat because I was exploring the dark side of myself. And then she said, and the more I partied, the more I realized the dark side was winning more often than I wanted it to. And suddenly what I thought was fun, what I thought was great, what I thought was neat and cool, became enslaving and began to take over. And she realized, she said, I, I was stuck. 
See, when you come to that place in your life and you realize that you have cravings, desires, fears, there's an anger you can't control, there's a, a longing a, 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 that you can't, you, can't, you can't stop, right? A, a desiring, a wanting, a passion that you can't keep. You realize that, that you're now in a scary situation that you need to be delivered. You need to be rescued. You need someone to come in and help you out. You are stuck in a very scary situation and you long for someone to deliver you. And just, just recently, actually, it was, um, it was Billie Eilish, actually, who came out and talked about how at age 11, I think it was age 11 or 12, she had started looking at pornography. And now, at what she was, 21, 22, I think, right now? I mean, she, looks, she was publicly talking about how much she regrets dabbling in that and how destructive it has been in her own life. And I thought it was an amazing statement. And she said this. She said, I just wish someone had told me how addictive this was. To save someone is to get someone unstuck from an unsafe or scary situation. Look, just, just to understand here, look at verse 71 here. It says, it says, speaks of salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. That notion of a hand speaks of the power. When you're in someone's hands, that means that they have control, that you are stuck in, in, their, in their situation. Look at verse 74, the same imagery is used. Uh, on the next page, to rescue us from the hand, the hand of our enemies. This notion, again, of, of, of salvation being getting someone unstuck from a situation in which they're, they're, they're uh, that is scary or unsafe. They're, they're stuck, they're in control of someone else. And Zechariah here is saying, we are here to celebrate. Praise be to the God who actually brings salvation. And it's a salvation, first and foremost, look here. A salvation from what? From our enemies. It's verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And I want to talk about that just for a second. What, because actually, uh, scholars, as they, as they look at this passage, they wonder, well, what's he talking about here? Who are these enemies? Who are, who are Zechariah's enemies? Who are, who are the enemies of God's people? And the answer, of course, for many people, they thought, would be Rome. It would be corrupt political and religious authority. But of course, what Zechariah is saying here is we've been saved. And what you see in the rest of the rest of the first century world is that God's people don't get any sort of liberation from Rome. They don't get any liberation from corrupt religious authorities. So what is the salvation that Zechariah is so excited about? And let me tell you. Turn to, turn to Luke chapter 12. Just give me a few moments here. It's just, I think it's just so important, so beautiful. The, the salvation that he speaks of here is not, a, it's not a freedom from oppression. It's not a freedom from corrupt political leadership or corrupt religious leadership. It's, a, it's a, not a freedom, but it's a freedom from fear of them. Look at chapter 12. Again, this is on page 894. I love this. This is so beautiful. Chapter 12, verse 4. I tell, this is Jesus speaking. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then he goes on and speaks beautifully of God's care, of the Father's care. Are, you not, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. 
Verse 8, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Now, what's so, what's so important to see is that, that Jesus is saying, look, whatever those authorities are, the political, religious, other, you don't need to fear them anymore. There's a sense of rescue and a sense of salvation in the sense that don't worry about them. And in the book of Acts, which is written also by Luke, in the book of Acts, we see this happen. That the apostles themselves stand before all manner of religious and politically corrupt leaders. And they do so with defiance. They do so with fearlessness. And it's, it's, an, it's a sight to behold. It's, it's, it's something that it becomes the precursor for all manner of, of, of acts of civil disobedience for the rest of the, the, the 2,000 years of history. We see these persons stand up, saved in the sense that they are unafraid. Does that make sense? So Zechariah is saying, celebrate the one who saved us from our enemies. And what's so important, and he says that it is salvation. Turn back to Luke chapter 1 with me. This is what I want to to focus on here. Luke chapter 1. He says, celebrate the one who saved us just as he said. This is so awesome. Look at verse 70. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Verse 72. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of of our enemies. He's saying that what's happening here, this salvation, this freedom from any fear, this defiance is something that has been foretold from, from Abraham onward that God would deliver, that he would give us that freedom from fear. Zechariah is saying, God is telling us, I told you so. I told you so. This is the ancient word being fulfilled. And then, then uh, after celebrating God's salvation, He turns to look at his son. I love this. It's so beautiful. Verse 76. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will be a spokesman for the Lord. And you will go before him to prepare his way. Verse 77. To give his people the knowledge of salvation. There it is again. This notion of salvation. But this time, it's not salvation from enemies. What is it? It's salvation from sin. So he says, salvation through the forgiveness of their sins sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace again let me say this realizing that we are stuck that we are in over our head that there are, there are, there are forces of darkness outside us around us and forces of darkness within us that are bigger than we are is one of the single most important turning points in our life. Because it makes you realize, I can't do this on my own. I can't manage the sin inside me alone. I need help. I can't manage the, the persons around me who are hostile toward me. I can't do that on my own. And I need a Savior. Let me just close with this. The finality, authority of, of, Jesus, of God's word. Zechariah is basically saying, do you see this text, this Old Testament text? All that's happening has been foretold. Zechariah is saying, I told you so. Are we living our lives in the light of that? 
I started by speaking of how often I ignore Sarah's texts, I ignore her emails, I ignore her instructions. And I'm asking you, are you ignoring God's text? Are you ignoring his instructions? Because, because when, again, when I ignore Sarah, life is so much harder. It is so much harder. And I live with a regret. What was I thinking? Why didn't I listen? Do we have that sense of awe, that sense of respect for God's word, a sense of earnestness? Right? If I neglect reading this, I'm just making my life harder for myself. When I was uh, at the Air Force Academy, um, I'll close with this. Um, I can remember going through what we call jump class. And jump class was a basic parachuting class. It was a free fall parachuting class. So you weren't just like, you know, a lot of times you see in the movie, you see someone tied to a line and they just literally jump out and the line automatically, automatically makes the, the parachute open up. Uh, this is a free fall. Basically, you're jumping out, jumping out of an airplane about 5,000 feet and you're, you're, it's just you. And if you, don't pull, if you don't pull at the right time, things aren't going to go so well. Okay, and I can remember going through about three weeks of training before the actual first jump. And here we are, we all get in there, and we, 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 we get all our parachute and all our equipment on, we put it all on, we all check it, and we get on the airplane, and as we go out to the airplane, and there's, there's a group of us, there's probably eight, eight or ten of us, and there's this, I remember several guys were just these huge, like really big buff guys. And there was this young lady, um, I can't remember her name, she was very short, blonde, small, very petite, and she was there, and, she, and we were all, 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 you know, had our, all our gear on. And when, as we were walking out of the plane, at least I don't know about how the others felt, but I could literally feel my knees just starting to kind of get real weak. You know what I mean? As I've been training for this, oh, I got this, I'm going to jump out of an airplane. And you're like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> right? And you get on the plane, and uh, we're, we're going up higher and just sitting there sort of like the, the reality of this is, just, is sort of hitting us in a way that it hadn't before. And uh, I can remember the instructor, just, you know, who had been instructing us the last three weeks. He got up. He was the jump master. He got up, and he said, he said these words, this is how it's going to go down. Are you listening? And you can believe that every single one of us was listening. <laughs> right? And I'll never forget, I mean, literally, he opens the door, you can, see, you can hear the wind just you know, going by, right? And then he does this thing I couldn't believe. He grabs both sides of these, these, these handlebars on both sides, and he goes like this, like outside the plane. And he's like, look, he's inspecting the, the drop zone. And he comes back in, and, uh, and he says, listen, just rely on my instructions. Do what I told you to do, and everything is going to be fine. You'll have the time of your life. And I can remember, there was, there was, I was the third person to leave. There were, the first guy was one of these big guys. The guy next to him, or the person next to him was this young lady, this petite, blonde lady. And I'll never forget, he, he, uh, the jump master goes over to the first guy, and he, just, he has to yell very loudly because it's, you know, it's all the noise, etc. And he tells, it is very basic instructions. He grabs the guy, looks at him, and he says, you stand in the door. <laughs> and literally the guy just sort of, you know, there's stuff like that, and you just see him like, practically falling over, just so scared. And he comes down into a certain position that you're supposed to get in before you, you fall out. And he did it, but he just did it. I mean, he just was barely able to make it. And then he turns to the lady 
same thing. You stand in the door. And she just got right up, got into her position, and took right off. She was leaning on the training and the instruction on the words that had been told her. She knew how it was all going to go down, literally down. Okay? Do you know God's word? Do you know how it's going to go down? Because it's all here. It's all here, guys. Zechariah knows. He can see it all coming. He's seen a little baby, a miracle happen. And he says, well, if this can happen, God can do anything. If God's word is true here, the rest is rock and roll. Right? All right, let's pray together.